We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app if we hope to survive in this digital age we have to think critically about the messages we consume someone created those messages for a reason let's find out why Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, and Edward R. Murrow and Gracie Award winner with legacy radio station KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm joined by Julie Smith, author, instructor, public speaker, and our guide for how to be a savvy media consumer. In our first season, we focused on dissecting messages. This season, transparency from the mouths of the content creators. So I've certainly lost friends going from being a journalist at Channel 4 for 20 years to being a conservative talk show host where I express my opinions loudly. That's Mark Cox, Emmy Award-winning TV journalist and now host of the Mark Cox Morning Show on KFTK 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis, Missouri. In this episode, we go to the conservative end of the radio dial. So, Mark, you were a TV reporter for 18 years. How would you describe the difference between radio and television? Refreshing, uh, freedom, liberty. Uh, I I worked actually in television news for closer to 25 years. I was at Channel 4 for almost 20 years, for ni- on about 19 years. Um, so I've been in St. Louis media since 1993, but I started back in 1987 at smaller markets around the country. And I started out in radio, but it was radio news. And then I stayed in television news in three different markets and ended up here uh, in 1993. So to me, the difference is being able to express the, the truth. You're able to call things out in a way that I didn't think I could do in television news. Have you taken any grief for making that jump from being a reporter to being a show host? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I've clearly lost friends over it. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like a lot of people, uh, and maybe this will be controversial, but it's how I feel, cloak their political point of view. Uh, they, they have an invisibility cloak called journalism. <laughs> and as long as you're cloaked in journalism, you're allowed to allow your liberal bias to show through. The minute conservatism shows through there it's frowned upon and shut down. I don't know why that's developed over the years. It has. There's no doubt about that. So I've certainly lost friends going from being a journalist at Channel 4 for 20 years to being a conservative talk show host where I express my uh, my opinions loudly about issues that affect the country. So, so yeah, I, I've, I've probably lost some. I've probably taken a bit of grief, I would say. 
So <clears throat> last month, Gallup did a poll asking Americans if they trusted the mainstream media. So two parts to this question. How do you define the mainstream media? And why do you think now that the trust in the mainstream media is at its lowest point since 2016? Uh, wow. Well, yeah, I can say one thing. I think that it, it wasn't it wasn't Donald Trump and the fake news claims that led us to this low point, although that probably certainly contributed. Um, 15 years ago, a CBS journalist named Bernie Goldberg, Bernard Goldberg, wrote a book called Bias. Everyone listening to this should go back and read it. It's probably available at your library for free. Uh, I'm sure it's still in print. I think that contributed to this from the beginning. You know, years and years ago, uh, when I was a, a local journalist, I've never worked at the network level, uh, you could start to see some evidence of the way network journalism was going. And, and Bernard Goldberg argued that the reason there was a disconnect is that the people that ran network news ran in a very small social circle in either New York or L.A., their opinions were completely formed by that social circle, and they had no idea what people in the middle of the country were feeling or experiencing. So, for example, if there's a story on abortion, abortion rights, a, 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 a controversial law, you run straight to Planned Parenthood and you get reaction from them. And anybody that doesn't agree with that is is on the outside. Um, I think people started to see that many years ago. Um, and it has only exacerbated itself. So my definition of the mainstream media, to answer part of the question, would be any of the alphabet networks, the, the regular broadcast networks, and then then down the tree into, into cable news, you know, MS, NBC, um, um, certainly CNN, there's, they've devolved over the years. It's not what it used to be. It's really not. And I'd, I'd, I wish I could put my finger on why. I wish... When I was in the business, I could have had maybe a little more impact on that, uh, but but I couldn't. And I didn't see it as much at the local level. I'm not saying that. But at the network level, it, it, it has taken on a point of view, right? I think. So you have taken on a point of view in your move from <laughs> yeah. television reporting to conservative talk. Tell us about that transition in your career. I was a, a baby of the Reagan Revolution, and my I, my dad took me to a to a Ronald Reagan uh, uh, rally at the Coliseum in Cincinnati, the convention center down there in 1979 when he was running against Jimmy Carter, and I, boom, that was it. My mind was blown. He was saying everything that that I believed in. I I embraced it. I loved it. I I was active politically through college. Um decided I wanted to go into radio or television. And, you know, as a journalist, you, you, you're you told to shed your biases when you walk into the room. Um, you're, you, you, and it's one reason why I left television news, I'll be honest with you, because you used to go into a news meeting in the morning, one of these editorial meetings, and, and you'd say, okay, I'm a journalist. I've got sources. My sources tell me there's a big story in this town. Here's what's going on. They'd say, sounds good. Give us a, a, a live shot at 6 o'clock, a package for the 10. Go. Fast forward from 1993 to 
2012, when I left the business, I'd walk into that morning news meeting. I'd say, hey, I heard about this great story in this town that's going on. This is what it is. Well, it's got to fit our brand is what I would be told. What do you mean by that? Okay, I've got six boxes on the wall. If it doesn't check off three of those six, we're not doing the story because it's got to be investigative. It's got to be advocative. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to have something where you're. It involves you chasing somebody down the street with a microphone, and and there's a side of that where if you're advocating for something as a journalist, you're not telling both sides of the story fairly, right? I mean, you're just not. I, I became very uncomfortable in in that environment. Television news shouldn't be a brand. You should go out and cover the story. And what do you think? And what do you think? And here's what the two sides think. And here's the story. That's how I was taught to do it. I don't find it's that way as much as it used to be. I'm not. I'm not labeling every local journalism uh, journalist that way, or every local journalism organization. This is what I saw in my head going on, and I didn't like it very much. I, I just didn't appreciate it. So, I always had a point of view on politics. I kept that to myself. Now there were people in the newsroom who knew I was conservative. There were people in the newsroom that I knew were left of center. Uh, we we would have those discussions occasionally in the newsroom, but I didn't feel like it infiltrated our storytelling all that much. I I didn't leave over politics. I left over the fact that I just didn't like the way they were handling journalism anymore. So then coming to radio gave me an opportunity to critically analyze stories, obviously through my lens, which is going to be a more conservative lens, and give my opinion on it. Whereas before, they'd send me to interview Dick Durbin in Illinois, and I'd hear the often half-truths or spin that he was spewing out of his mouth. But as a journalist, it wasn't my job to tell him what he should think. It was my job to record what he had to say and take it back and report it. As an opinion radio host, I can analyze what Dick Durbin says, and I can give my opinion on it. I, I enjoy that. Okay, so Mark, where do you get your news? What's your news diet, and what do you recommend to others if they want to be really informed? Oh, Breitbart. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I knew what you were thinking, but here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand about me, and I certainly don't represent every conservative talk show host out there, in my opinion. Um, I am an information junkie. The iPhone, the smartphone is the greatest thing that could ever have happened to me my wife would argue with that because i can take it with me all the time from the time i wake up in the morning when that alarm goes off at 304 every morning to when i go to bed at night if i'm lucky by 9 p.m i'm i'm reading sources i'm i'm reading cnn i'm reading msnbc i'm reading fox i'm reading breitbart i'm 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 reading the bbc and the daily mail and wherever I can gather information, and then what I present on whatever the story is, is through my lens on what that story means or how how it should be perceived by my listeners. I, I consider myself very educated on these issues. I think you have to be. And I tell people on my show all the time, don't, don't you dare use my show as your only source of information. You should be getting don't just use channel four. Don't just use channel two. Don't just ever just watch CBS. For example, you've got to have, regardless of where you stand in the political spectrum, you've got to take in as much information as you can and make your own mind up. And it's one of the problems in this country right now. Not enough people do that. Do you feel like social media has improved or 
damaged the information society we live in. Twitter is a cesspool. <laughs> so, so damaged. Absolutely. Be- because, and here's the problem. Just because, I mean, I'll go on my radio show and talk about the fact that the big, one of the biggest problems in this country are low information voters. Pe- people who who don't find out about the issues till a day or two before the election. Are you kidding me? I mean, who who's undecided these days? I don't understand that because I think if you're if you're paying attention, uh, you know what's going on. And the only thing in the middle of the road is roadkill. It's kind of how I look at it, right? So so the problem with social media is that the low information voters gravitate to it, and then they they're only what they're only getting their news from Twitter or Insta or you know whatever else that's distracted them. You know, when 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 I would go over to my elderly mother and hear her talk about something she read on Facebook as a fact, I'm like, a meme on Facebook is not a fact. Don't you can't rely on that as a news source. So it has definitely hurt, and it it it's hurt the 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 tenor and the content of the conversation in this country. Well, and it's made the consumption of misinformation so much easier to have. Yes. Because, yes. you know, they're not liable. Those platforms aren't liable for anything that gets posted on there. So anything goes and people take it as fact because and they, it's on a screen. And they filter it. Yeah. They're yeah. filtering it. And well, we know that about big tech right now. I understand that they filtered you this morning. They did indeed. Thank yeah, you. So tell us about that. that. So so I am doing a, a, a fundraiser through my show and through a local organization called Responder Rescue that helps first responders by raffling off a gun that's been donated by a local gun store. And I went to the gun store yesterday. I took a picture of myself with the gun. It's a it's a you know a six hour semi automatic rifle, and I posted the picture on my Facebook page, encouraging people to go to the website and buy raffle tickets to the charity website. And I got a notification that it violated community standards because I was raising money for a charity. Well, that had nothing to do with it. They didn't like the idea that I was holding a gun. That violated community standards. Well, I wasn't doing anything wrong with the gun. I've just shown it to people. I wasn't pointing at the camera. I wasn't just holding it in my arms. How does that violate community standards? And why do they get to decide? That that bugged me. The, their argument when I challenged them was, and I didn't talk to anyone, just the automatic feedback you get, is that they're on a global platform and they have to be conscious that not everyone shares the same values as us. Well, clearly, I don't share the same values with Facebook because they... They didn't. They didn't put me in Facebook jail. They just erased the post like it never happened. So, yeah, I got canceled. Congratulations! You've been, you've yeah, been warned you. now, though, right? I've been, been warned. <laughs> so, what I'm going to do today is go repost the picture and see what happens. I may post it as my profile picture just to see if they catch it. Catch it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the power of conservative talk because a lot of people would assign a lot of power to conservative talk shows that they are a major influence for voters and and for citizens. What's your view of it? Are you reflecting your audience or are you influencing your audience? Remember Air America? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know why it failed? Because those points of view were something you could get on ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC on a daily basis. You didn't need to go listen to Al Franken for three or four hours a day to hear somebody who was saying the things that you believed in. That's the reason it was not a commercial success. Conservative radio, starting with Rush Limbaugh, 
thrived in this country, in my opinion, which is what I do for a living, uh, because people were hearing things. I'll never forget 1988. I'm driving down the highway. I heard Rush Limbaugh for the first time. I have a distinct memory of this. And I'm like, wow, he's saying just what I thought the other day. It wasn't, I hated the argument. People will make the argument, well, you just say that because you heard Rush Limbaugh say it. No, that's what I've always thought. Conservative radio has had explosive growth and, and we're all the offspring of Limbaugh, whether we, whether we are directly, you know, we're directly listeners of his 30 years ago or, or more recently because we have a lot of younger people in the business now. Uh, we're it is it exists because people were hungry for that for a point of view that that they that they had in their own heads and they weren't getting that from the national media. So uh, I mean, how influential are we, or how reflective are we of of a of a frustration on the part of a lot of people in the middle of America who don't feel like the media represents them anymore? I, I don't know. I'd like to think I have some influence. I also like to think I give some good advice uh, and I, I try to be as I try to filter and moderate what I know to be the truth so I can in I certainly try to influence people and I encourage them to call in and argue with me if they disagree with me. I mean, that's the that's the great thing about it, right? We've lost that in America. You, you can't have civil conversation anymore. One day a week on my show on the bottom line. I invited a Democrat on the show every day. It was a, we, we talk about the issues of the day, whether it's a city issue, county, state, gun control, uh, you know, eliminating student debt. We, we have these conversations. People get mad at me, my own listeners. Why do you have that guy on? Well, <laughs> because if you don't hear what the other side's thinking, how do you make a decision? How do you make a rational decision? That's what I hope it represents. What is your, what is your demographic? Who are your listeners? What do you know about them? I was pretty shocked. Um, you know, 2020 was a huge year for for talk radio. Obviously, in the middle of a presidential election, um, a a the the mindset in in radio is that older white men listen to talk radio, and honestly, our our strongest we had, and you know how the ratings work, Megan, because you you know that they're they're metered and they. They grab a handful of marbles and and tell you how many are in the jar based on the color in your hand, right? Mm-hmm. There's 50 red marbles in there. This is what you're listening to. I don't think it's representative at all of our audience. I really don't. But we had surprising strength in in a younger demographic and a surprising strength in, in women uh, listening. And I, I, I think it's a stereotype anymore to say that it's all... 45 year old you know disgruntled white men that listen to conservative talk radio i that that does not it's not reflective of the phone calls i get i can tell you that at all (laughs) walk us through what it's like to prepare for one of your shows you said you consume as much information as you can how do you decide which topics are worth talking about and which ones aren't i am my listener that's how i look at it is that maybe as weird as that is i don't sit down and do three hours of of rundown planning for my show every day um, I consume the, the you know, as, as newscasters, if take a little test for yourself, I'll just throw this out. There's a sidebar, watch channel two, channel four, channel five tonight, whatever day you're listening to this podcast, watch, just watch them and make a list. If you want to, of what the top stories were on all three of them, one through 10, 
I'll, I'll bet that seven of the 10 stories will be the same, probably. This Ma- almost sounds six. like a media literacy assignment that I have assigned <laughs> in the past. You're speaking my language, Mark. So you're 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 taught in journalism that you you get the your top story is the thing that's going to have the most appeal, or if it bleeds, it leads is how they used to do it, right? Uh, if, if there was a, a a bad accident on the highway, even though it didn't affect anybody in Jefferson County or West County, that's the lead because it's low hanging fruit and it's easiest thing to cover. It's explosive. It's it's whatever. I, I don't approach my job like that. I try to look at what's the story that's going on in the country or the city or the county that if, that affects the the most number of people who are in my listening audience. If I was listening, what would I want to hear about? That's how I try to stack my show. Um, and it you know it, it it may not be for everyone, but I was a listener to my radio station a long time before I was a host and I know what I want to hear and hopefully I'll have a job as long as that works. But that's kind of how I approach it. The one thing I've noticed about being in the studio with you, Mark, mm. is that um, you're always on, you're always fired up. And I don't mean that in a negative way, <laughs> but you are, you're always on it. Um, you're intense about it. And for me, I'm wondering how you keep that up from morning to morning, especially with the hours that you keep, it can be it can be a little bit of a brain drain, right? Is there for caffeine, four hours? Is there caffeine involved? Much much caffeine, <laughs> starting at about three fifteen every morning. Lots of caffeine. It, it's just a passion. I don't know how else to describe it. Somebody, I had somebody call me up uh, one day and uh, not not all that long ago and said, "Listen, I've been offered my own show. I've never done this before. What's your advice?" And I'm like, "It's got to come from here." It, it, it's not something you can't do. I honestly believe this. You can't just sit down one day and decide you want to be a major league pitcher or a race car driver. You've got to develop those skills to get there. But at the core, you've got to, you've got to have some, some passion for it that drives you to do it. And I honestly have to say that's probably it as much as anything is that I'm passionate about these issues. And, and that's, that's what, like, I'm not, I'm not on my radio show telling you about uh, a new road construction project up here on Olive or the uh, the loop trolley or something that bores the hell out of me. I'm telling you about things I'm interested in, and therefore that passion can flow through when I talk about it because I sincerely believe what I say and I'm not sitting there making things up, and I'm not talking about things that I find boring. I hope that's what brings the passion to it. That answers your question. I, I hope that's what it is. I think it is. What's something about you that would surprise your listeners? Um, interesting. I collect antique radios. Hmm. Well, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a bit of a antique geek. I love that stuff. I inherited a I inherited one of those old Philco stand radios from my grandmother when I was a teenager when she passed away. I've kept it all these years. Uh, I used to, Ed Goodman, who used to work in radio in St. Louis, and I used to run into each other at, at auctions and, and, and uh, estate sales where we were looking for old radios. So that, I don't know, that's one thing that I do that might surprise a lot of people. I don't know. I, it seems prophetic to I, me. I don't know. <laughs> I finally ran out of room. My wife said, no more. We have no more room for any more radios. So there are some in, in closets in my house that are not currently displayed. Yeah. And you have your own podcast now, which has nothing to do with 
politics or government at all. They came to me and said, you should do a podcast. And I said, well, all four hours of my show get podcasts every day. I said, I don't want to do what I'm already doing. I said, I love bourbon. Why don't, we, why don't you let me do a bourbon podcast? They're like, oh, we don't have anything like that. Why don't you try it? So, yeah, I have a podcast called The Mash. It's all about bourbon and and things that go well with bourbon, maybe cigars or, or you know, just whatever. We, we've covered the bourbon trail, uh, bourbon clubs. We've talked to master distillers, uh, the, the one of the only female master distillers in the country at Widow Jane. It's just interesting stories about bourbon. And uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm on, like, episode eight now, I think. That's Mark Cox, host of the Mark Cox Morning Show on KFTK-FM. I'm Megan Lynch with my co-host, Julie Smith. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our media literacy project. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.